It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 73 of the Night Talker. At 1045, where are we at in society? If you are chronically late, congratulations. You're now apparently a victim of a debilitating affliction, time blindness. And coming up in seconds, it is the first of a three-segment chat with the unabashedly honest athletics director of University of Central Florida, Terry Mahajer, about college sports, the worthlessness of the NCAA, leadership, failure, and more. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can follow me on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. You know, if you have listened to this show over the last couple of nights that I was at Big 12 Media Days on Wednesday and Thursday, really for the opportunity to speak with a variety of people from the Big 12 Conference. Longhorns guys like Steve Sarkeesian and Quinn Ewers, and others, players, coaches, and occasionally athletics directors. And one of my favorite conversations throughout the course of those two days was with Central Florida Athletics Director Terry Mahajer. He really fires from the hip, and uh, we had a wide-ranging discussion that you're going to hear over the next three segments. Terry, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic. It's a pleasure to have you here at Big 12 Media Days. How are you feeling right now? Obviously, oh. new conference, uh, new football season coming up, new academic calendar. Uh, things are uh, rolling along at UCF right now. It's real. We've been preparing for this for two years and uh, excited. You know, I grew up in the Big 12 footprint. I uh, grew up in Kansas City area. So I've worked in the Big 12 twice. Uh, I was a coach in the Big 8 back in the day and so uh, it's just really kind of cool and I saw the very first national championship game here when Ohio State won it I sat four rows in front of LeBron James he was in a suite behind <laughs> me and the fact that we're back here never thought I would I never thought I'd be back here as the AD in the Big 12 but it's uh, so it's been pretty cool so it's we, great for our fan base obviously so you took over your current position in early 2021, mm-hmm. uh, just how much was a move to the Big 12 on your individual radar and then also UCF's radar at that time? Well, I've been through conference realignment seven times. And so I was always prepared for it. So one of the things when I got the job, remember I didn't have a football coach and it was February. So I had to have a football coach. The previous AD and the head football coach went to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So I had to hire, my first day on the job was no like, hey, all the nice things you do, meet people, and you kind of settle in position. It was no settling in the position. I immediately had to hire a coach. And so I had the coach, but after I had that coach, it took uh, my first day I started working on it. It took me about four or five days to get that done, four days. And then we went right into, you know, preparing for conference realignment if it ever happens. I now, there was nothing going on at the time. Right. But I knew that something was going to happen. I mean, I, you know, I'm, it's not like I'm Nostradamus or I had this crystal ball that I knew. But, I mean, I had to prepare. Like and I told my president, Alex Cartwright, I said, listen, we got to prepare that this is something that, you know, one thing in college athletics that's inevitable is change. And so we have to prepare that the, when the opening comes that we're, we're ready. And, you know, we did. We have a great marketing and branding team at UCF, and, and they, were, they were involved uh, about four or five years earlier when the Big 12 talk, talked about expansion. So they had some information, but then we'd kind of re, repurposed all that, and uh, we're ready to go. And so when, when Texas and Oklahoma, uh, you know, kind of leaked that it was going, we were ready. We were ready. So it took you four or five days to settle on Gus. Did you guys have a previous relationship? Yeah, he was my head coach at Arkansas State. Okay, well, there yeah, you yeah. go. So that made it pretty simple yeah, then, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
Uh, yeah, and then, you know, I hired, uh, speaking of Austin, I hired, right after he left, I hired Brian Harson. He was the offense coordinator for Mac Brown sure. at Texas. And uh, so he's, you know, so, I, you know, it was, uh, had a lot of coaches. I had, I had, I had, th- we had three conference. I had three coaches. Well, actually, I had four coaches. I hired Bush Jones before I left. Probably the only guy in the only AD in America that's hired two FBS coaches in the hmm. same year. That's a that's a <laughs> unique quality to possess, I guess. I don't know. It's a dubious honor, I guess. You know, I don't know if it really means anything, but it's know. interesting, I guess. Yeah, it is interesting for sure. Yeah. So you've obviously led more than one athletics department at yeah. this point. What's the key to good leadership? Adaptability. And, and, and understanding a lot of, I think a lot of leaders come in and they, when they try to, you know, always impose your own uh, culture. I think you have to see what's working well uh, in a particular uh, organization or enterprise. And I think you have your own philosophies and your old core principles that you have to stick to on a regular basis. But I also think that every institution has its own unique culture. And if you come in and you try to change it, I think, 80s make big mistakes by doing that and so I think you have to adapt to some of the cultures and then put implement some of your own stuff and I think that's what we did and I, you know we've we I've been in AD for over a decade and it's it served us well what is uh the most important thing that you implemented in coming from Arkansas State with UCF that's worked out well I think I think more of a robust revenue model has mm. been something that's been really um forefront for me uh, and then also uh, our post-graduate careers. Uh, we have a 100% job placement program uh, for careers. We're the only school in America that guarantees wow. uh, jobs to our student-athletes once they, gra- once they graduate. And we have a whole formal study abroad program that allows everyone. So we, we sent our first class because of COVID. We couldn't go last year. Uh, we sent our very first class this year, football players, basketball players, women's basketball players, volleyball players, over to Europe. Uh, for a study abroad this summer uh, so they can put on their resume uh, that they not only are they outstanding student-athletes, but they have global education on their resume. And so that gives us a leg up and gives them a leg up once they graduate that if they don't make it to the next level in the pros, that they have, they're sitting across a hiring manager, they slide their resume over, and they, they have a leg up on everybody else in the competition. Where's your favorite place to travel abroad? Um, I, I've been to a lot of places, uh, Indiana, uh, India, Dubai. Uh, I, I love, I love Italy, but Dubai was pretty interesting. Mm. Uh, and, um, uh, my daughters were just, uh, over studying abroad. I've never been to Greece, uh, but I, I would say Italy's probably one of my favorite places. Yeah. That's my favorite yeah. too. Why was Dubai so interesting? Just how different it was mm. and, uh, how it's, it's so cosmopolitan but yet so traditional in their you know obviously the the culture you know with their um you know with very traditional uh islamic uh, you know beliefs but yet you go out and it's just this vibrant crazy flashy you know with all the big buildings and the hotels are very, very opulent mm. so this is a question i've been asking everybody over the last couple of days now everybody has at least one fear i fear unrealized dreams my wife fears clowns what's your biggest fear my biggest you know I don't I don't know if it's fear or um, you know doubts but I think it is um, of not probably I would say 
not trying something, you know, and the, the fear of, of not taking advantage of a situation where, um, you know, um, that you may not be successful at, and, but, but trying it is really important. And I, I teach my kids that. I've got three kids, two in college and one in high school. And I think, you know, you're going to have unsuccessful moments. And a lot of people say, you should, you should want to fail. You should want to fail. I don't really look at failure as, you know, people say fail. failure is kind of finale. I always say you have unsuccessful moments. And you should learn from unsuccessful no, moments. Yeah. And I think fear of, of, of my kids not trying to put themselves in a position where they may have unsuccessful mo- moments, I think is something that I always, you know, think about. And, and then, you know, just, you know, not having, you know, sometimes the other fear you have or lack of courage you may have, it, which may suppress what you do, is that because of the enterprise you, and because of the people that you don't always have control yeah. of every enterprise that you have and every organization that you're dealing with, that you may hesitate in your beliefs or your, your uh, ecosystem because you may think someone else wants it done a certain way. And that's not the case. I think you just got to be who you are in your personality. If you're, as long as you're respectful and, um, you know, you go about things the right way in a class way, I think you'd be fine. I don't know if that's a, kind of a long answer, but. That is University of Central Florida Athletics Director Terry Mohodger. We had an extensive conversation yesterday at Big 12 Media Days. Coming up, part two of three with Terry on the other side. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Back with part two of my conversation with University of Central Florida Athletics Director Terry Mohodger. This is a chat that I conducted at Big 12 Media Days on Wednesday and Thursday. Terry and I spoke on Thursday when Central Florida was one of seven teams taking part at Jerry World. By the way, if you want to hear any of the conversations that you've missed already, whether it's Steve Sarkeesian, Quinn Ewers, Texas Tech head coach Joey McGuire also spoke with Kansas State head coach Chris Kleiman and Oklahoma wide receiver Drake Stoops. You can go to my show page through 1027ESPN.com to hear those chats. And now back to UCF Athletics Director Terry Mohodger continuing on the subject of failure. No, I appreciate that answer because I love the concept of the importance of failure for yeah. those lessons that you can yeah. learn in the process. The most successful people not only fail, they tend to fail repeatedly, yeah. and that's uh, an important lesson to impart on anybody, but especially our kids, right? I've got yeah. an eight- and six-year-old at home right now, but I like the reframing of that, unsuccessful moments. Yeah. What is an important unsuccessful moment from your life, and what was the lesson that you learned? Um. I've had some unsuccessful moments, you know, you know, just, I mean, listen, I have, you might have unsuccessful moments every week. Um, And I think it's just, you got to reframe your brain and repriction. It's like, there's a reason why that happened. And and I have to say that this happened for a reason, as long as it doesn't hurt people or whatever, it may affect a a situation. But I think, you know, I've, I've had some, you know, unsuccessful moments when you're dealing with external, uh, external uh, politics. 
uh, and you're dealing with civic leaders, possibly not, not necessarily UCF, but other places, uh, dealing with administrators, other administrators on, on campus that you've not had because people believe a certain things should be a certain way. And when you're working with, when you're working, especially in a university, when you're working with a university and you have, it's unlike any other organization in the, in the, in the world because most organizations, most um, enterprises have one objective, that's to maximize revenue. In colleges and universities, you have a thousand different agendas going on. So what your agenda is, you might have a hundred different agendas in your own athletic department. The women's golf coach is not on the same agenda as the head football coach, right? So, but in colleges and universities, we have such a vast, you know, disciplines across the organization that sometimes it can impact you. And sometimes, you know, I've handled certain situations. I've learned to handle, you know, that people have their own, they're, they're on their own season of life and they're on their own. Where you, where you stand on an issue is where you sit. And I have to think about that. And, you know, you know, you know, the other thing too is, you know, we talk about, you know, taking on more than you can handle, you know, going back to the failure, I would rather, you know, someone says, if you're, do you feel like you can take, you, you, you are taking on too much, are you biting off too much that you can chew? Yeah. You know, and that's, that's comes up a lot. I tell people, listen, I'd rather choke on our bull vision than, than nibble on mediocrity. And, mm. and I think, you know, those are some of the life lessons I love to children. Also, our, our, our staff. I also, our staff, we're very innovative at UCF. We're, we are, we're youthful. We have 350,000 uh, living alumni, only second right now, or actually third now with BYU in Texas is number one. And our average age of our, 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 our alumni is 38. And we're, and we're graduating 18,000 a year, so we're getting younger. And, you know, I tell them, I said, take chances. Take calculated chances. And, you know, don't, don't look back and, and regret. Fear is, to me, is more regret than anything. That, that's, what I, that's what I fear probably most is regret. Fear that's regret. The word, that's, that's, what, that's probably the word I was looking for. Well, you know, it's important to strive for greatness, not necessarily because you're always going to achieve those goals, but you have no idea what else you're going to encounter and learn yeah. and other dreams and goals that will all of a sudden formulate as a result of that pursuit. Yeah. That's right. Versus just being comfortable in that uh, in yeah, that box I that mean, we all yeah, that, that mean, is very hard for us to get out of. If, if we don't it, force listen, ourselves to do listen, so. Listen, in, in my mind, if you're comfortable every single day when you come to work, that means you're not you're not stretching yourself. True. You're, not, you're just not. And you know you have to be un, you have to be uncomfortable a little bit. You know that some people just aren't made up that way. I am. I always have. And you know I'm a I'm, I'm a son of an immigrant. My father came to this country. Uh, my mom didn't go to college. She started working out of high school. Um, you know, but for but for football and my football scholarship, not sure I'd be where I am today. Mm. And we have you know in this day and age of transfer portal and NIL, I think we as practitioners have done a horrible job explaining the benefits of college athletics and what what. Benefits come in. That's why we have a 100% job placement program. Uh, we're the only school in the country. That's why we're, we're, we're focusing on career success because we can help you break your cycle if you want to. 
I think that is a great plan to have in place, but we also have to recognize that NIL is here to stay, yeah. and this Wild West nature of yeah. things is completely unsustainable. So we're all trying to work towards that solution to make this more viable and to really calm things down during the offseason and during the season itself. I know there are uh, attempts at the federal level to come up with some sort of uniform legislation. My concern with that is that there's a really hard push to keep uh, – college athletes from being considered university employees, that feels like an inevitability for me. Does it feel like an inevitability for you that these uh, kids will eventually be seen as employees of the um, university? I, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, but if it, if it does, that's okay. Yeah. I don't, I, if I, I bet you, if you explained employment law to a student athlete, to a potential <laughs> student athlete, remember if you, if they're employees, title nine goes out the door. Yeah. It's title seven. Mm-hmm. There's no more Title IX. There's no gender equity. There's not that you're an employee. Well, I think that's where you probably get some separation well, you with could, the major well, sports or you, or you, or you versus you some of those sports, secondary sports. Unfortunately, and I'm uh, and I, what I just talked about is through sport. We've we besides the GI Bill, there has never been a scholarship program that helps the youth of America more than intercollegiate athletics. I don't care Division two, Division three, right. NAI, whatever it is has helped young people get an education and go on and have successful careers besides the GI Bill. And so we're losing our way. NIL, I've always been a big proponent of NIL, but NIL with Transfer Portal together, what was happening is we got these kids that are in these transfer portals that believe that they got this, this big money coming because they participate. We've got a lot of kids in the transfer portal that have no place to go. You ever seen the movie Officer and Gentleman? Yep. I've got no place to go. Oh, Deborah Winger was yeah. so hot. <laughs> what, she was hot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, when he says, we've, I've got no place to go, we've got – We've got hundreds of kids that have no place to go, no scholarship. That's not what we're here for. Right. And so we don't talk about that. We don't talk about it as practitioners. The media really doesn't talk about it because they don't have all the analytics in front of them that, talk, that, that says all these young people that don't have a place to go. So they're entering the transfer portal. They think they're going to get NIL, and then they don't even get a scholarship. And so now they have to go find a way to pay for their own scholarship, and no one's offering because everybody's transferring around. So, and then it's also impacting our high school kids. So high school kids are not getting recruited like they used to because of the rules. And so now kids are really good athletes that would have 10 years ago had scholarships. They wouldn't have that now. They're, they're, they're getting transfer portal kids. You're going to get a kid that has depth, maybe a special teams player or a sixth man on the basketball team or a seventh man on the basketball team, as opposed to bringing in a high school kid, unless they're just phenoms. Yeah. So, you know, and, and the, NIL is, is great. I've always been a proponent. I've been, as an AD, I've always been a proponent of NIL. NIL with the transfer portal, I think there's some fool's gold out there. There's also kids that are prospering from it, too. Completely but, agreed. But no one's talking about the fool's gold. And you know what? We, we, we talk about unsuccessful moments. I have to think about what I do. I've been doing this for 30 years about the young people that are in college athletics and what we, why we all started in college. Now, we all make good money now, especially at this level. We're making good money, good wage and all that stuff. But most of us, especially the guys that since I, we weren't making that type of money. Man, my first job, my first full-time job, I got a, I was $20,000, a, a, a red Chevy Corsica, and this little device called a cellular phone. <laughs> and I thought I hit the lottery. I thought I hit the lottery, man. And But now, you know, it is where it is, and, and the business has grown. And, but I think we still have to keep top of mind education. 
I do worry also specifically with football and maybe with some of the other money makers in college sports like men's basketball, women's basketball to a lesser degree, that we're still leaning too heavily on an organization that is supposed to be enforcing the rules. And to do that, as you're well aware, as somebody at the top of the food chain, to enforce rules, you have to have authority. To have authority, you have to have a sense of respect from those below you. And the NCAA at this point doesn't have enough respect from its member institutions or really anybody down that food chain. So my question for you, I guess, based on that is, do you think the NCAA is a part of college football in, let's say, five or ten years, or is there going to be a completely different organization responsible for those no, things? No, I, I think I think they will because I think we had, and I, 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 I don't think the, listen, this is going to be controversial, I don't think the previous leadership had a really good grasp on it. I've, I really, I've, heard, I've I, heard good things hey, about Charlie Baker. Uh, listen, I've spent, I spent 30 minutes with him, okay. and he's got it. He gets it, okay. and I think he can help navigate us through the waters. I really do. He's, he's going to be a good leader. He was a former student athlete. He's had to deal with, I mean, very uh, – you know, he's a Republican governor in a very liberal state uh, in Massachusetts, so he knows how to work both sides of the aisle. Huh. Uh, and, and you know what? He's not arrogant. Uh, he's just not that type of guy, and you can tell he's, he's not going to come – you know, we're the, you know, the NCA and this is what the rules are. He's going to, he's learning. He's went and, he, and so I've, I've been in a couple rooms with him. I've had conversations with him directly. I've been real impressed. Um, I have, uh, um, I got invited to come up to a NIL think tank, a limited group of people um, uh, in a couple of weeks. I can't make it because I have something else going on, but those are the kind of things that he needs. He needs practitioners to come up. He doesn't yeah. need he doesn't need people from Division Two and any you know not yeah but Division Three or college presidents or fall or at Fars. He needs to he needs where the rubber needs to talk to people where the rubber meets the road, mm. and I think he's doing that. I didn't feel that way the previous leader. Sorry, it is what it is. That is University of Central Florida Athletics Director Terry Mohodger. We spoke at Big 12 Media Days yesterday. Coming up, you'll hear the third and final part of our chat right here on The Night Talker. It's The Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's The Night Talker with Trey Elling. Back with a third and final segment of my conversation with University of Central Florida Athletics Director Terry Mohodger at Big 12 Media Days. Just for a bit of a conversational reset, Terry and I were discussing the failures of the NCAA and also how it seems to look under the leadership of new president Charlie Baker. I've heard uh, good things hey, about Charlie Baker. Uh, listen, I've spent, I spent 30 minutes with him, okay. and he's got it. He gets it. Okay. And I think he can help navigate us through the waters. I really do. He's he's going to be a good leader. He was a former student athlete. He's had to deal with, uh, I mean, very. Yeah, you know, he's a Republican governor in a very liberal state uh, in Massachusetts. So he knows how to work both sides of the aisle. Huh. Uh, and and you know what? He's not arrogant. Uh, he's just not that type of guy. And you can tell he's he's not going to come. You know, we're the you know the NCA, and this is what the rules are. He's going to he's learning. He's went and, he, and so I've I've been in a couple rooms with him. I've had conversations with him directly. I've been real impressed. Um, I have uh, um, I got invited to come up to a NIL think tank, a limited group of people, um, 
uh, in a couple of weeks. I can't make it because I have something else going on. But those are the kind of things that he needs. He needs practitioners to come up. He doesn't yeah. need he doesn't need people from Division Two and any you know not yeah but Division Three or college presidents or fall or at fars. He needs to he needs where the rubber needs to talk to people where the rubber meets the road. Mm. And I think he's doing that. I didn't feel that way the previous leader. Sorry, it is what it is. I completely and, agree and, with you. And I'll say the name. Listen, Mark, yeah, Mark Emmert yeah. was asleep on the job, and unfortunately the NCAA was operating five to ten years behind where college sports was heading, and that was a problem. You know, the... the they were trying they, to fight battles that were already lost. Well, they were also, they were also just punning on things that they were going to get sued on. Absolutely. Because you had, every time you make a decision, you have an attorney in the, in the room, they're going to tell you that you're going to mitigate risk because that's their job. Yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I just don't think we did a very good. Again, I'm going to put it back to the practitioners, but I think Charlie Baker is going to bring the NCA back to the intention of it, mm. and I think because he was a student athlete, and I think understanding that and having that as a four top of mind and foremost most important thing, and I think it can't be hijacked by special interest. And sometimes I think in the last few years prior to him getting on board, I think it was hijacked, to be honest with you. And this is very controversial. Listen, I'm, I'm just one person's opinion. This is not the opinion of UCF. This is, this is my opinion as a, a practitioner has been an AD over a decade. And um, we got some work done. I, I've talked to John Duncan. He's the head enforcement. Dave Chenace is, is, is kind of uh, – he's the um, rules, rules coordinator. And I've mm-hmm. said, listen, they're, and they're, they take calls. Um, but I think, you know, some of the staff that they put together, and I think they're learning, is understanding what goes on on a college campus was also not something that was really, really um, uh, uh, pivotal for them. It was just like, okay, we're going to hire these lawyers and people like that, and they just, you know, and that's what happened. So, listen, I'm critical about it, and I'm sorry that I'm critical about it, but you know what? Listen, I, I've, I've – I, I, 30 years, I've been in this business for 30 years yeah. in this industry, and I've seen it change. And what, when I see young people not have scholarships because of this yellow brick road mentality that there's gold at the end of the tunnel, that we're, we're going to see the wizard, being from Kansas, <laughs> growing up in Kansas, going to see the wizard, and it's just not there. The wizard's fake. Yeah. It's, it's a tin man. That's, <laughs> that's so... I, Sorry, man. Know, look, it's you don't need to apologize. It is important that smart people talk openly about these things and share their opinions versus being worried about not being politically correct enough because yeah. this is an issue that is going to shape what college sports looks like next year, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, and probably far after we're yeah. all gone as well. Real quick, you said your dad immigrated to yeah. the U.S. Where did he immigrate from? India. India. Yeah, okay. I came over here. And so I uh, came over here, put himself through school, wow. was working roadside construction, was uh, getting um, his hair cut. He was living on top of a nursing home, no air conditioning in the summer. And uh, uh, met my mom. She was cutting hair out of high school. Oh my gosh. And she was cutting hair. And then he put himself through school and, um, and then worked on the natural gas fields in western Kansas and got an engineering degree and then... We moved to Kansas City. He moved. To, I grew. I was born in Liberal Kansas, southwest part of, mm. uh, and so he actually lived in San Antonio for a while. Uh, you know, he's moved up. But yeah, so it's kind of it's a really cool story. It's the American dream. It is, and he listen. He's, uh, you know, it's kind of a. 
this is you know kind of a personal thing. I mean, he is the most patriotic guy I've ever been around, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just can't just loves this country and when he hears anybody that talks bad about this country you know he has a we of course we, there's always challenges in every in every, any democracy you're going to have he said but if you don't like it leave this is you can't get better than this and he's he's taught me well taught me how to vote is your god-given right to vote because he came here and became a citizen and he votes and uh just has really been very patriotic and really was the guy that that helped me develop my love for college football and football wow. period um and so he came to this country started loving the dallas cowboys believe <laughs> it or not dallas cowboys were shown in western kansas and that's i became cool. a cowboys fan and and that's how i started loving college football and then that you know take it from there but it well, was uh i'm sorry you've had to suffer through being a dallas cowboys listen fan i'm also a kansas city chiefs fan now. okay so all right. listen balances out no 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 so the last couple <laughs> years but we were season ticket holders for 39 years and wow. prior to you know Mahomes getting there, you know uh, you know they weren't uh, all that great either. So, <laughs> all right, well, we're going to uh, finish with a little bit more football talk. Now. Okay, uh, I want you to fill in the blank for me here. Uh, UCF football will be successful. It will be a successful 2023 season if blank. Hmm, it's hard. I like that I'm getting you to really think yeah, about because, what you're about to say because. Everybody looks at success differently. I'm a little closer to it. But so, you know, what I say is going to be, oh, he says that, you know, you know, competing at a high level, meaning being competitive in every game. Yeah. Obviously, having a winning season is success. I, I would say that would be success. But, you know, I also don't want to say, let's having a winning season is success. Because when you compete, you compete for a reason, right? Yeah. You compete to win championships. So I can't say, you know, it's like, uh, what, was, what, was the, uh, what was the Will Ferrell movie where he says fourth place, fourth place, fourth place. What was, the, what was that show? He was a semi-pro basketball. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can't yeah, remember. So, semi-pro, I mean, yeah. Semi-pro, I think it's called semi-pro. Woody Harrelson. Yeah, fourth place, fourth place. Yeah, no. I mean, listen, I think, I mean, success is winning a conference championship. Yeah. Um, does that mean if you're – if you just have a winning season, you go to a bowl game, you're unsuccessful. That's the eye in the beholder. I mean, I know the challenges. This is a good league. It's top to bottom. It's probably as deep as any league in the country. Probably more deep than any league in the country, top to bottom. I'll tell you that right now. And um, so, you know, it's, um, you know, I, 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 I mean, I think, you know, again, you, you, our players are competing to win the conference championship. Every player in here that's here today and every coach here is competing to win a conference championship and no one knows who's going to do that until the season starts so you have to play the game it'll be an unsuccessful season if blank we don't compete well we don't compete well simple as that yeah Final question, Terry, and thank you so much for the time yeah. today. Sorry about me, my rants. This is I'm, I'm known for my rants. Are you kidding me? This is one of my favorite conversations <laughs> over these last two days. Great. Uh, last, uh, last question, though. What do you love about UCF? So I've had opportunities in the, um, over the decade to look at other places to go, you know, AD. I, I, first of all, I went to school at Arkansas State, so it wasn't something I really wanted to leave. Mm. What I love about UCF is I love that we want to be exceptional in everything that we do. 
and it's very innovative and it's very youthful. Um, even though I'm 52 years old, uh, the energy and the excitement and the um, the vision of reaching the stars as high as you can be because we're the, we're the space school. You didn't probably know that. We're, we're the school that puts people in space. I know it thanks okay. to your, uh, yeah, your communications right. team and putting so, together some you know, literature. The, that people want to reach the stars and we are a Hispanic-serving institution. We have a lot of first-gen students. Mm. And we have a large student body. And everybody that comes to, a lot of people that come to UCF have aspirations of being highly successful people. And I love the energy of that. I love the energy. I love the youthfulness, the playfulness, the innovativeness of our, and I, and I love the area. Um, you know, there's going to be, there's things in the big, there's things as we transition in over the last two years and as we transition in the next few years that we don't have in the Big 12, the big other schools in the Big 12 have. But there's a lot of stuff that we have that nobody else in the Big 12 has. And so we're going to continue to uh, accentuate those, those really great elements that we have and, 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 and build on it. I'm going to end our conversation with this. I'm a Texas Longhorns fan, and when the news broke that Texas and Oklahoma were heading to the SEC, I was happy about that because of the level of competition, but also because the Big 12 at the time was a bit of an S-show. You talked about the NCAA, previous leadership, maybe not being as on the ball as they needed to. I kind of felt that way about the Big 12 at the time. But as I'm having these final conversations uh, here at Big 12 Media Days, yesterday and today, uh, with the Longhorns obviously not going to be a part of things after this upcoming season, I'm finding myself disappointed that we're leaving the conference because of the leadership that now exists. Brett Yormark, who is beyond impressive, and then guys like you as well. Thank you. Didn't know much about you before you sat down today, but uh, consider me a big fan going forward. He is Terry Mohajer, not only the athletics director at the University of Central Florida, also vice president as well, and he's been nice enough to sit down for an extended amount of time to talk about things. Terry, thank you so much. Thank you for letting me be honest. Coming up and where are we at in society? If you're chronically late, congrats. You're now apparently a victim of a debilitating affliction, time blindness. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Final segment of tonight's show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in a terrible direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism. It has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are finally getting something right. Perhaps all is not lost. But sadly, tonight is not that night. And we start on the subject of timeliness for a Friday night edition of The Night Talker. Are you somebody who is typically on time or chronically late? I am in the former category. As a matter of fact, I am in that group of people who believes on time is actually being five to ten minutes early if you can. Now, very occasionally, I am late to something and it bothers me to no end. 
and reminds me of how much I hate being late and how inconsiderate people are who are chronically late themselves. That's right. You may think of yourself as a victim, but you are being an a-hole to whoever it is you're keeping waiting. Now, unfortunately, that argument may actually be losing a little bit of steam because there is at least one person on TikTok who claims that people who are chronically late are suffering from an affliction. Let's go to TikToker Sarah for more. The person I was with interrupted and acted like I was asking something else. And then when we were done, they actually started yelling at me and saying that accommodations for time blindness doesn't exist. And if you struggle with being on time, you'll never be able to get a job. You know, provided you're trying your absolute best to be there. And then they're like, your stupid generation wants to destroy the workplace. And yeah, I think that a culture where workers are just cut off because they struggle with being on time when there's other solutions that we can look to, I think that just anybody who thinks it's okay to just treat people like that, yeah, that culture needs to be dismantled. And then I asked that person, how can you feel good about yourself upholding this kind of system? And then to think, I'm entitled. No, if people think it's okay to treat others like this, uh, that's entitlement. Oh, boy. You know some big words there, Sarah. I'll give you credit for that. Words like entitlement and the term time blindness. But let's not get our facts mixed up here. You may have a problem with being on time. It's up to you to adjust that. Because it is an outright lack of consideration to whoever it is that you are keeping waiting to do so. And if it's you who is always the one that's late, this gets back to so many different subjects in modern times where people feel wronged or screwed because society is not conforming to them versus understanding that there are just certain, let's call them courtesies, that if you focus more on that, you're going to create significantly less problems for yourself. And being chronically late is maybe as clear of an example as exists. But no, here we are with those who can't be on time now suffering the affliction of time blindness. They just don't pay close enough attention to the time. And then they realize, oh, I need to be here. And all of a sudden they're running five minutes behind. And that's if everything goes swimmingly. If all the lights that you need to be green to finish anywhere close to on time are green and not red. How often does that happen? Versus saying, you know what? I have a hard time getting to places on time because I don't pay close enough attention to the clock. That's I actually respect that. I hate being a slave to clocks. I love those days where I don't need to know what time it is. And I actually have a pretty good sense of time too. That internal clock, if you will. But I love the idea of not having to pay attention to a clock. So if you're one of those people who just has a a difficulty in keeping that eye on the clock because you're so focused or locked in on something else or a bunch of something else's, well, 
Fortunately, we have the technology now that keeps an alarm clock on you at all times. That's right, your cell phone. Figure out how long it's going to take you to get from point A to point B and then set the alarm clock for, I don't know, 15 to 20 minutes before that because you're not going to be leaving when that alarm clock goes off. You're somebody who's chronically late. You're going to make excuses and still end up leaving five minutes after you need to. So set it 15 to 20 minutes early so that maybe you actually get out when you should so that you're not keeping that other person or people waiting. Just a suggestion, Sarah, and all you other chronically late people out there. Or you could just keep being you and insulting those that you are meeting for dinner or drinks or whatever else is on the schedule that that person has the common sense and courtesy to show up on time for. While you make excuses as to why you don't do a better job of it. As you can tell, this is a pretty big pet peeve of mine. I do not like to be kept waiting when I put forth the effort to actually get to someplace when I need to be there. It's rude. It just is. And if you think otherwise, as somebody who is late all the time, then say take a look in the mirror. Or maybe ask those when you show up late. Does this bother you? Does it bother you that I'm 10 minutes late to something? If that person tells you no, congratulations, they're probably pretty spineless and they're desperate for your friendship. If the person has guts and is willing to speak honestly with somebody that's supposed to be a friend or an acquaintance, they'll say, yeah, it does bother me. It's rude as a matter of fact. Can you try a little bit harder next time? Maybe that'll help you get through and stop making excuses like you're time blind. Was she complaining that she was late to her job all the time. That's a fireable offense, Sarah. You may not have your job very much longer. Don't want to judge a book by its cover, but there's a chance you're working at a Starbucks or a bookstore, perhaps. I love bookstores. I love coffee shops. But that seems like the place most suited for your employment, your tardy employment. We move on from TikTok and timeliness to Florida, America's most flaccid member. We've all heard the phrase that a food is so good that it must be laced with crack. Something along those lines. Crack sauce. That you're just addicted to it. That you're itching to get that next taste. Well, unfortunately, a Japanese steakhouse in Florida took that phrase a step too far. A steakhouse in Florida, in Pace, Florida, has announced that they're closing just weeks after an investigation by the Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office found that some of the soy sauce was contaminated with methamphetamine. An investigation into Nico Japanese Steakhouse began when seven people were hospitalized after eating at the restaurant. Detectives did 
test two soy sauce bottles and unopened to-go packets of soy sauce, which came back as positive for meth. Wow, the unopened to-go packets testing positive for meth too. On July 7th, the owners of the restaurant made a Facebook post that said they would be closing because they were, quote, unable to sustain the cost to stay open. The investigation, interestingly, was closed and no charges were filed because deputies were, quote, unable to determine who contaminated the food due to a lack of witness observations and surveillance footage. According to the investigative report, multiple employees told deputies a co-worker was acting erratically on June 9th, the day that seven customers got sick. The co-workers believed the suspicious co-worker unknowingly contaminated the food. However, the report concluded that there was no evidence to back that up. There's a whole statement from ownership that does actually acknowledge the sheriff's office investigation. Said they fully cooperated. That's all they could do. But the family-owned and operated business is closed with 20 employees now out of work, all because of this power of social media. That's right. Social media got this place shut down. I feel kind of bad for Nico Japanese Steakhouse here. It doesn't seem like they were in the wrong, especially if there was one employee acting like a crackhead, or let's call him what he was, a meth head. And when was doing something so flagrantly stupid, like contaminating soy sauce with tiny bits of meth, or somehow getting that into soy sauce packets too, that's pretty horrific. That person probably should be rung up on something. That is it for another Night Talker. Thank you so much to University of Central Florida Athletics Director Terry Mohajer for joining me from Big 12 Media Days. And thank you so much for listening. Have yourselves a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday at 10. In the meantime, sweet dreams. It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellings.